Hey, good morning. I'm so glad you're here at New Spring. We're in a series right now. It's called Love Songs. And uh, in case this is your first week, we're, we're taking some love songs that you may have known through the years, or maybe even a new love song, and we're looking at some of the truth in them. And then we're talking about what, what God has to say about the kind of love that lasts forever. And, and as I say each weekend, I understand that this series may catch you in various places. For some of you, you're in a marriage, and so you're, you're, you're navigating all the challenges of marriage. For others of you, you want to be in a marriage someday, but right now you're single or single again, and you're trying to think about what does the future hold and what do I need to be looking for in a potential spouse? And for others of you, maybe you're just in a different place today, but for all of us, here's the deal. Either we are in a marriage or we love someone who's in a marriage. And so the things that we're going to learn today, I think are going to be really, really helpful. In fact, among all the five messages of love songs, today's talk is the most practical. It's called The Climb, and it's all about how difficult marriage is and embracing that difficulty and learning what we need to skillfully navigate and climb through the years of of a, of a marriage that hopefully will last forever. And so could I, I just want to revisit something I just said. This is going to be a really, really practical talk. From time to time, I stand on stage and I tell you that what we're going to do is more of a workshop than it is a message. And here's what I mean by that. Whenever there's a great message it's almost like there are three participants in the message. Obviously, I'm going to be standing on stage and talking, but then you're listening to it. And then you're going to be taking what you hear and applying it to your life and thinking about how it could work for you. And then, of course, the most important part of a great message is that God is at work in your life and my life, sort of tailor-making the message for our situation. So today, it is a workshop, and, and you and I are going to have to put our heads and hearts together to just really sync up with what God has for us. If you came in here today and you're thinking, I must be crazy because marriage is really hard for me, could I just first of all set you free from that? You're not crazy. You're not difficult. You haven't married the Antichrist by mistake. I just want you to know (laughs) that marriage is tough, and we need to embrace that. Um, I don't know if any of the rest of you have ever like moved into a brand new house that no one else has ever lived in before. Maybe you built a home. But if you have had that experience, can you imagine what it would be like to, to build a house and then take the key, open the door for the first time and say, that's it. That's all we have to do. We're here. We can just let it happen from here on out. Because it is tough to get into a new house. I mean, you have to like get, to, get your down payment saved up, get your financing together. In some cases, you're choosing your lot and you're choosing your builder, deciding on your plan. As, as, as the house moves along, you're picking your surfaces, you're picking your fixtures. And, and it is a challenging thing to get to the place where you open the door and move in for the first time. But anyone who would think at that point that they were finished would soon be in for a surprise because that's just a starting point. We all understand that. When we, when we think about that, we, we sync up with that and we say, well, of course, anyone who's going into a house for the first time understands they're going to have to put in a lawn, they're going to have maintenance issues, they have decorating and all kinds of stuff. So clearly, they're just getting started. We understand that. But for some strange reason, when it comes to marriage, we struggle with that. Because I see people all the time who like put in a lot of energy and emotional investment into dating, and oftentimes they, they, they put all kinds of stress and energy and money into the wedding itself, which being a pastor and doing a lot of weddings, especially in a young church like New Spring, most weddings that I do last between 18 and 20 minutes, you know? And sometimes I think, wow, you know, all, all this for just something that lasts for a few moments. And that's fine. That's a great thing. But there, there are people that go through all that in dating and the wedding, and they say, wow, we're there. From now on, it's just going to be on cruise. We're just going to let it happen. 
I think some of the issue that we have with that stems from the entertainment and the reading that we've done through the years. I mean, it starts out when we read fairy tales when we're little, or we, we watch them, you know, on television. Here's, you know, the boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy and girl struggle through the dating relationship. They finally get married, and they live happily ever after. It's like the curtain is pulled, and we never see what happens after that because everything is easy. But for all of us who've been married, we know that life doesn't work that way. It is difficult. In fact, it is a climb. It is a challenge. So today, I want to talk about the climb that is marriage and how to climb. I've never done rock climbing. It's just not been a sport that I've been into, but it intrigues me. And one of the things that I've learned about rock climbing is that many people climb with partners. In fact, you can get on the internet, and there are all kinds of sites where people are seeking for a partner to climb with. And I find a parallel there with, with trying to find a life partner, someone to climb with. But I, I seized on one particular article, and there was, a, there was a, an experienced climber, in fact, a, a writer on the subject of climbing, and he said that he had boiled down to three things that, are, that were really important when, when someone was looking for a climbing partner. And I thought they were rather interesting because they really bore heavily, I thought, on finding a life partner. He said you need three things. Number one, you need someone who's safe. Because after all, your life is going to be in his or her hands. Secondly, he said, you need someone who takes it seriously. If you take it seriously, if you take climbing seriously, you want a climbing partner who takes it seriously. And then thirdly, he said, you need somebody who knows what he or she is doing. And I think that's really important for marriage because you need someone that you can be safe with. You need someone who takes it seriously if you take marriage seriously. And then finally, you want someone who understands what it takes to make a successful life. So again, if you're single here today, I think you're sort of in the prime spot because you're going to learn a lot of things that will help you know the kind of person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And if you're married, I'm going to give you some strategies today that are phenomenal. These will help you. These strategies that I'm going to give you today will help you with the climb. Now, here's the important thing to keep in mind as I go through these things. They're not difficult. They just don't come naturally. Okay? They're not difficult. They just don't come naturally. You're going to have to go counterculture if you're going to have these things in your relationship. So here we go. We're going to the Bible today, and I'm just going to read you some scriptures, and we're going to work through these together. And then when today's talk is over, I think you're going to be able to take some stuff home and, and make some serious changes. The first one, when the Bible talks about the, the climb and what it, what, it mean, what it takes to have a forever kind of love, it is amazing how much it refers to the way we talk to each other. Our, our text is going to start in Song of Solomon, which I've been sharing with you for the last two weeks. And I've said Song of Solomon is a song that was written 3,000 years ago, and it's a duet. It's a man singing to a woman and a woman singing to a man, and they're in a hot love affair relationship. They're married, and they just can't wait to be with each other, and they're singing to each other. And today we're going into that, into that love song, and I want to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 11, because the guy is singing to the, to the woman, and he says, The kisses of your lips are honey, my love. Every syllable you speak, a delicacy to savor. When you read delicacy, read that dessert. Anybody else here like me who likes dessert? Love dessert. You know, I just bring it to me, whether we're talking about chocolate cake or ice cream or I was with some friends this week, and there was this marvelous blackberry cobbler with ice cream, man. It's just marvelous. Server comes by my, you know, table. You guys have room for dessert? I always have room for dessert, even if I don't have room for dessert. And then sometimes I'll say, no, 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 because I'm trying to lose weight. And then the server will bring this tray with all the potential desserts on there. 
that just breaks down my willpower. I love dessert. Now, here's what's cool. This guy is saying to his gal, he's singing to her, and he's saying to her, when you talk to me, I feel like somebody has just served dessert. The way you talk to me, I feel like somebody's just brought me cake. I feel like somebody's just brought me ice cream. When you talk to me, it's like somebody brings me dessert. In other translations, the first line of that verse that I just read, the man sings to her and he says, it's like you have honey under your tongue. It's like when you talk to me, it's just like, it's like dripping with honey. I, I, know, I know some relationships that when the gal talks to the guy, it's not like she has honey under her tongue. It's like she's got acid under her tongue. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about a relationship, and this is not in Kansas, so just relax. It's not a new spring couple. This couple I love very much, and they love each other. I know they love each other. But when she talks to him, she's like always like talking down to him and putting down and caustic and critical. It's like, it's like a mom talking to a two-year-old. And it's, to me, it's like someone is just running fingernails across a chalkboard. I know she loves him, but she doesn't have honey under her tongue. And if I were him and I listened to her talk, I wouldn't feel like I'd been served dessert. I'm telling you, now I know this is counterculture because our culture today says it's different. I mean, if you look, listen, if you're watching television and you watch a woman talk to a man, if she's married to the guy, if you just listen to the conversation, he's not going to feel like he's been served dessert. He's going to feel like he's been slapped upside of the head, as we used to say in Texas. It cuts both ways. Let's go to chapter five because the woman is singing now. She's singing about her guy. She said, his face is rugged. His beard smells like sage. His voice his words, and guys, pay attention because these are two things that are hugely important to a woman. She says, his words are warm. That's the mood in which they're spoken, warm and reassuring. That's the meaning of his words. The mood of his words is warm. The meaning of his words is reassuring. So many guys that I know, they want to coach their wives up. She's failing in some area in his mind. And, you know, coaching has been good for me, so I'm going to do some coaching for her. I'm going to coach her up. I'm going to teach her what she needs to do. She's failing. I'm going to show her. And oftentimes what guys don't understand is that what they're doing isn't reassuring. It's unsettling. And I love what, what she says to him. She's just singing. She said, man, when you talk to me, your words are warm and reassuring. But now we're going to go into what have become my favorite words in the book of Song of Solomon. I've read and reread this book prepping for the series. And these have now become my favorite words, and they've become a challenge for me in my relationship to Mary Alice and trying to live up to this. Look at verse 16. His words, his words are kisses. His words are kisses. Man, guys, that's a challenge. Could I ask you a question? When you talk to your wife, does she feel like she's been kissed? Does she feel like she's been kissed or does she feel like she's been slapped? You say, well, Mark, I would, never, I would never slap my wife. I would never do anything physical. That's just repugnant. The very thought of it's a repugnant thing. But there's a reason why we come up with the expression verbal abuse. Sometimes when guys talk to their wives, the wife feels like she's been struck. But the, the woman said to him, when you talk to me, it's like your words are kisses. When you talk to me, I feel like I've been kissed. 
And then she says something else. She said, your kisses are words. In other words, when you're, when, you're, when, you're have, when you're having sex, you're not just having sex. You're making love. There's a lot of difference between just having sex and a guy just wanting to be satisfied and making love to his wife. And she's saying, man, when you talk to me, it's like I've been kissed. And then when you kiss me, it's like you're talking to me and telling me what I mean to you. Oh, guys, this stuff isn't hard. It's just counterculture. It's so different from what we see out there. But if you want to have the kind of love that lasts forever, if you, want the, if you want to have a red-hot love affair that just doesn't run for a few weeks or a few months, but instead runs for 20, 30, 40 years, and it can be done, here's how. It starts with the way that we talk to each other. I mean, I could end the service right here today. I'm not. I've got a few more things to say. But I could end it here, and no matter how far you drove, I know a lot of you drive a long way, and you fight traffic jams to get in here, but it'd be worth being here just for that one thing. Could I just ask wives, would you contemplate just thinking about what it would mean if you determined that from now on all your words are going to be like dessert? And guys, all your words would be like kisses. Transformative. Let's go to the next one. For this one, I'm going to the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he talks a lot about how to live the godly life, and it's amazing how much of his book is wrapped up in, in what we say. In, in James 3, verse 18, he said, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, and they will reap a harvest of righteousness. Since the 80s, we've had a prevailing concept in our culture, and it goes something like this. If you're going to get justice in life, if you're going to get fairness in life, you have to demand it. In other words, if you're not getting your respect, demand it. If you're not getting your space, demand it. If you're not getting what you want out of a relationship, demand it. And it's sort of become the norm. Well, in the words of Dr. Phil, how's that working for us? Because here's what I discover. I discover that in my relationship with Mary Alice, the more I demand my way, the less fairness I get. That's just human nature. I'm that way. You ask me for something, and if I know you need it, I'll give you the shirt off my back. You demand it from me, and hmm, hmm, hmm. See, we, we, we've been taught all wrong. We've been taught, you demand it, and yet here's what the Bible says. Here's what peacemakers do. Peacemakers plant seeds of peace, and surprise, voila, they get a harvest of fairness. Peacemaker is a term that we don't use enough. Most of the time when we think about peacemaking, we think about somebody negotiating a settlement in the Middle East. Lord knows we need somebody to negotiate a settlement in our own houses sometimes. This is real, real simple. Whenever you and I get into a conflict, there's that moment where we know I can either escalate this thing or I can de-escalate it. And let's not be too easy on ourselves because we all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think it's just human nature. But I think many of us have the idea, you know what? I have to fight. I have to be in a conflict. If my husband says something that makes me unhappy. It's written in the Bible somewhere. It's the third book of suppositions or something. But if he makes me unhappy, I, I, I don't have any choice. Man, we, 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 we got we to go to it. I mean, we just have to. You know, if my wife just says something that catches me the wrong way, I, I have to argue with her. It's just written in the universe. Really? 
Peacemakers really understand that there is that moment. Because here's the deal. I mean, I know what it's like. No matter, no matter who you are, you can have the greatest marriage here, and, and you're still going to have conflicts. Isn't it interesting how you can just be rocking along, and everything is real cool, and you're getting along and having a great day, and all of a sudden just something can happen. And the next thing you know, you're having an argument. You're thinking, where did that come from? That's going to happen. A lot of reasons for it. But peacemakers catch themselves, and they say, I'm going to de-escalate this thing. Oh, yeah. Mark, if I did, you don't know my husband. He, he's just a jerk. And, and if I did that, he'd just roll right over me. Mark, you don't understand. I am married to a woman who has a machine gun for a tongue. And if I don't get in there and go to it with her, she's just going to roll right over me. Well, you have to remember that God is making you a promise here. This is for God followers. The Bible says this is what peacemakers do. Peacemakers plant seeds of peace. And guess what? They get a harvest of fairness. Climbers who have successful climbs and long-term marriages understand very clearly the importance of making peace. I can either make peace or I can try to win a conflict. I can tell you, if you try to make peace, it's amazing how many conflicts you'll win just by making peace. Let's go to the last thing this morning. This is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And here's what the Bible says. Be gentle with one another. That is the mood of the house. One of the things that troubles me, and I hear this from time to time from kids talking to me about their parents' relationship. And I hear kids, sometimes teenagers will say, Mark, my house is like a war zone. It's just, it's like hostile. It's like constant conflict. Listen to what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying be gentle with each other. You have to choose to be gentle. And then it says sensitive. Now, guys, what sensitive means is this, because I know every once in a while we hear about sensitive guys, and we think about, you know, metrosexuals and that kind of thing, and you say, hey, I'm a real man's man. Sensitive is just caring about how the other person feels. And then look at this. Forgive one another, and this is the big one right here. Forgive one another as quickly as, and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, let's go to work. Forgive each other. You say, Mark, my husband doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Well, duh. By definition, nobody deserves to be forgiven. If, if, here's the thing. Only sinners need forgiveness, and no sinner deserves to be forgiven. So here's what the Bible says. Forgive each other. I, I, I've talked to couples before, and I just I sometimes I'm amazed at, at individuals in a marriage, and they can remember things that were done to slight them years before. I mean, it's like they have it in a catalog, and I've counseled with them. And it's like they sit there in my office and say, well, on June 23rd, 1972, he did this to me. On June 24th, 1974, at 6 p.m., he said this to me. It's like they have everything in a catalog, and I'm thinking, there's no hope, there's no help here. Because you know what? If married people who know each other better than anybody else, if they put a black mark on the wall every time their partner does something wrong and they hold on to it, they won't make it. They will not make it. They'll either end up in divorce court or they'll end up living in the same home, just cohabitants, paying the same bills. You have to forgive. Quickly. 
Well, Mark, I'm going to forgive him, but for three days, he's not going to hear my sweet voice. Not going to be any honey dripping from my tongue for three days. If he doesn't know what he did to hurt me, he'll know by the end of three days when he gets through sleeping on the couch and making his own sandwiches. Well, Mark, I'll tell you what, I'll just disappear for three days. I'll be there at night, but I'm just going to disappear and, and she'll get the idea. I'm going to forgive her, but she's going to suffer first. Yeah? I think the Bible is saying quickly means like don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Quickly and thoroughly. I got this one because I've had so many people tell me, Mark, I can forgive, but I can't forget. That doesn't mean a thing. I mean, just think about that semantically. It doesn't mean a, a thing. What does it mean to forgive and not forget? (laughs) Mary Alice and I were in Dallas-Fort Worth area earlier this week. In fact, usually when I get through with three services, I'm just toast. Uh, And Sunday afternoon, I just go home and crash for the rest of the afternoon. But as soon as the service was over last week, we jumped in the car, drove to Dallas. I was thoroughly exhausted by that time. I had meetings all day Monday, and then it was like the meetings were just crazy. My first meeting was like as far south in the Metroplex as you can go, and then my second meeting was as far north in the Metroplex. It was almost in Denton. And so not only did I have these long multi-hour meetings, but I was driving across the Metroplex, and all the Texans are just crazy. I don't, they, uh, it's crowded down there, and people talk funny. It's just... <laughs> I can say that. You can't say that if you're not from Texas. <laughs> but anyway, it was Monday night, and I was just like liquid. I was so exhausted. Mary Alice and I were going to dinner, and we were just like putting one foot in front of the other. And she says to me on the way into the restaurant, do you know what today is? Instantly, I knew I should have known what today was. <laughs> she said, we met 37 years ago today. And we did. And it was kind of cool to be in Dallas-Fort Worth area because it, we're from Fort Worth. And it, we met in high school, and our school was having a tournament, and Mary Alice and I met each other. So we were having some fun, and we were sort of talking about what it was like to meet. And we were even talking about what we were wearing. When you get to our age, you just try to remember anything you can remember, you know. <laughs> and so we're kind of laughing about it for a little while. But then I, I just sort of turned serious because I, I thought about what how important Mary Alice is to me and what a wonderful what a wonderful life partner what a wonderful wife she is and I started thinking back about my personality and I don't know if you guys can pick this up from watching me on stage or not but I'm like real intense I'm like the most intense human being you have ever seen in your life if you know somebody who's intense just put an exponent by it and you have me I mean that's how I am I mean I just Want it fast. I have to- no patience. I'm just very edgy. Now, I've grown a lot in that. I was thinking about this on the way to, to church last night for the first service on Saturday night, and I was just thinking, Lord, I have grown so much. I am so, I really am getting good at this thing about not being edgy. And I had to leave campus for about 30 minutes because I had to go to McDonald's before the service started <laughs> to get a Diet Coke. And um, I said, I can get there and get right back. So I got there, and, and, I, and here's the deal. I'm telling you more than you want to know. I have to fix my own because they always put too much ice in it, you know? So I had to get out of my car and go into McDonald's. And I got there, and I wound up in line. 
Has I been telling God how good I was about this edgy thing and how much I'd grown? <laughs> and I got there, and I wound up the third person in line, and there was nobody behind the counter. And we were just like standing there, da, 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 da. I mean, we were standing there waiting for somebody to come along. And um, finally, finally, a guy walked in behind the register, and he wanted to take the order of the first guy. First guy had been standing there forever, and as soon as the guy asked him, may I take your order, he looks up at the menu. You know what I'm thinking. I wanted to go take him by the hand and say, can I help you to your car? I mean, it's just <laughs> really nice guy. He's looked at the menu. Uh, and finally made his order. And so by this time, I'm just really frustrated. The guy in front of me, he's, an, he's a young guy, and, and he was ordering a cheeseburger, and he wanted dehydrated onions on his cheeseburger. I don't even know what dehydrated onions are, but it was very big to him because he said it three times. I want dehydrated. And the guy said, okay. I'll, I'll, and he said, did you hear me? I want dehydrated onions. And I want to just say, he said he wants dehydrated onions. Is that Okay. Finally, God at the cross, he told him how much ketchup he wanted on there, how he wanted the buns rotated. I mean, it was just. <laughs> so finally, I thought he got his order done. He said, could, could I see the toys for the girls in the Happy Meal? And the guy said, okay. And he went over there and he went to the back and he started like pulling them out one by one, holding them. And the guy said, oh, I like that bracelet. Maybe I should have got a Happy Meal. Finally, I got my drink, and, and I, I thought, I know what's going on up in heaven. The Lord is saying, let's have some fun with Mark. <laughs> he thinks he's dealing with that edgy thing. Let, let, let's have some fun with Mark here. Well, going into that restaurant, I, I told Mary Alice, I said, you know, I know what I'm like. And I know that especially in the early years of, of our marriage that I was impatient and edgy, and I said a lot of things that were unkind and not thoughtful. And I said, you know, I wish I had that to do over again. I'm really sorry about that. And Mary Ellen's turned to me and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't remember any of that. Now, here's the deal, guys. She could have. But somewhere along the line, she chose to forgive quickly, thoroughly. You say, Mark, I can't do that. I can't. I cannot forgive. Well, maybe you need to hear the rest of this. Because it says in verse 13 of Colossians 3, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Do you remember how much the Lord had to forgive when he accepted you? I mean, here's, and he forgave quickly, as in instantly and thoroughly. The Bible says God forgave us so much that he removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, totally out of his mind. And if God forgives you, you can forgive your wife. You can forgive your husband. That's the climb. It's talking to each other. It's a woman talking to a man. It makes him feel like he's just gotten dessert. And a man talking to a woman in a way that feels like she's just been kissed. 
It's in planting seeds of peace and deciding not to escalate conflict when it's right there coming right across the plate. It's in giving space for people's faults and loving them anyway and forgiving instantly. It isn't complicated. It's just not natural. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be here today. Thank you for what you've let us learn. God, I pray for every man, every woman who's married. I pray that you will help us just help us to remember these things, apply them to our lives. I pray for every single, God, that you'll just help them as they're looking for a climbing partner, if indeed they are. I pray that you'll just help them find the person that cares about them and will we'll see these things and be visionary about them. I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling and saying, if I did this, how would my partner react? I pray for them that you'll give them the peace and the courage and confidence to know that the outcome is not in the hands of their husband or wife, but the outcome is in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, one more thing and I'm through. You know, it could be that you're here today and you're saying, Mark, when you talk about God forgiving, I don't know that I've ever experienced God's forgiveness in my life. I've been in religion, but God forgiving me? Did you know that God offers that if you will come to him, that he will forgive you of all your sins? Actually, as crazy as it sounds, past, present, future. When Jesus died on the cross, the blood that came out of his body was so powerful, the Bible says that the way God looked at it, his blood paid for every sin you and I have ever committed. And all God asks from us is that we receive his gift, that we by faith believe that Jesus died for us. Believe that he rose from the grave. And by faith, trust him with our eternal destinies. And at the moment we ask for God's gift and have confidence in him, God washes our sins away and makes us God's child. I want to give you a chance to ask for that. If you're here today, maybe maybe you've never realized what God offers you and how much he loves you. You could come here today and say, Mark, I was afraid if I walked into church, the building would fall in on me. God's not up in heaven with a hammer waiting to hit you. God is up in heaven loving you, just waiting for you to come to him. If you'd like to pray to receive Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say it slowly, line by line, so that if you want to, you can repeat it. The important thing is that you mean it from your heart. These aren't magic words. But if you mean them from your heart, God will hear your prayer. Here we go. Let's go. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong, and I can't save myself. But I believe you died to give me everlasting life. I ask you for forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that was lightning quick, and you could say, Mark, I have no idea what happened to me. I just did, I just did it because I believed it was the right thing to do. Well, when you came in today, you got a worship folder, and part of that worship folder is detachable. You can see there's a part that you can tear off. If I've got a little packet that I created for you. In fact, you can see a little picture of it right here. It's a vinyl packet. It's got some DVDs and great stuff to help you know what it means to follow Jesus free, F-R-E-E. If you just prayed to receive Jesus, I want you to have it. If you want me to mail it to you, just put your name and address on there. Check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. In a few moments, the offering bags will come by. You can drop it in the offering bag. There's some boxes out in the back, you can drop it in the boxes. I know we're ultra crowded, but if you have just a few extra minutes and you want to take it with you today, you can. I'm going to point right behind the cameras there. They're outside in the lobby. There are two zones called New Spring Store and Guest Services. 
If you just prayed to receive Christ and you'd like to have the packet to take with you today, just drop by there, take the card with you. They won't ask any questions. They won't stalk you. Just say, I pray with Mark. And give them this, and they'll give you the packet, and you take it with you today.